the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Streetwise Theology, out of the ivory tower and back into the hands of the invisible church. Thanks for listening to Streetwise Theology. My name is Luke Saint. And as part of the agents of the Silver Screen, it is my duty to observe the ebb and flow of the Hollywood elite in their Oscar season tryouts. This year, Denzel Washington and his crew of talented actors are making a go at it with the film adaptation of Fences, a Pulitzer Prize-winning play of the same name. Directed by Washington, the movie centers around Troy Maxson, a fast-talking Pittsburgh garbage man whose work ethic and headstrong attitude both compete for the titles of Unstoppable Force and Immovable Object, respectively. He lives with his wife of a second marriage, Rose, who lives up to her name as a sweet, affectionate character, complimenting well her rather charming husband. Troy has two sons, his oldest, Lyons, from his first marriage, and Corey from his marriage with Rose. Lyons is a talented musician who can't get a word of encouragement from his father in pursuing a career in jazz music despite his noteworthy potential. His second son, Corey, is as talented as his father in the athletic department and is being scouted by colleges for his skill in football, much to the chagrin of Troy. With Troy throughout the movie is his best friend, Mono, who enjoys listening to Troy's endless banter about life in baseball. Troy also has a brother, a wounded and mentally disabled World War II vet named Gabe. The film is well done, of course, but definitely does not hide the fact that it is a reworking of a play meant for two acts and probably two sets. This, however, does not stop the remarkable talents of Denzel, who uses the domineering character of Troy to channel his signature charisma. The other actors, such as Viola Davis, support this in their own gifted way, and one can't help but walk away from the movie having watched something that actors were always meant to do. Act. And act well. The film has no CGI, refreshingly, and lives up to the play's standard of being character-driven. After having read several reviews and going back and watching various scenes, it is with wonder that I say that such a play-slash-movie is by and large viewed with an eye focused on circumstances and struggle rather than justification and morality. The film reviews usually comment on the skill of the actors or maybe the execution of dialogue, but there is hardly a mention of the glaring message of the movie in its unbelievably selfish lead. One reviewer writes, The power of the story lies not in its tragedy, but in how it finds the good and the bad, the seed of hope in the moment of despair, the strength of character in those most deeply and fundamentally flawed. The quote-unquote good and the bad is an understatement, more like looking for something that ain't there. When trying to understand the complexity of Troy, it is important to note the difference between having character and being a character. Throughout the film, Troy gets away with metaphorical murder, using those around him for whatever is convenient at the time. Whether it's using his wife's nurturing attitude or his best friend's laud and attention, Troy Maxson leaves a trail of destruction behind him as he moves from use to abuse, selfishness to pride. This he accomplishes effectively because he sells it to those around him by being authoritative to his sons, charming to his wife, and funny to his friend, all the while making up the rules to his little world as he goes along. His reasoning ultimately comes down to, my will be done, wrapped up in, I had a hard life so now it's your turn sob story. While it's true that Troy did indeed have a difficult childhood which was downright abusive, he uses it to put a gorilla-sized chip on his shoulder, parading it around like a spoiler brat past his bedtime. This culminates around the middle of the movie when he reveals to his wife of 18 years that the woman he has been running around her back with has resulted in a pregnant mistress. 
As Rose begins to try and process why a sane individual would cheat on a wife that has worked so hard and loved so much, Troy astonishingly begins to start justifying his weakness by relaying that his affair afforded him a second life free of stress and worry, a life without care and woe. He says that his mistress magically makes him forget about the apparently terrible life he has with his current family. If it isn't unbelievable enough that a man would justify himself in adultery, what's even more amazing is that he doesn't even apologize. Nary a sorry or forgive me manifests itself on his licentious lips. Troy Maxson lived with a faithful life of 18 years, a wife who stuck with him through the good times and the bad, a wife who put up with him, laughed with him, died with him. And he turns around and doesn't even give her the courtesy of apologizing for cheating. One has to wonder who the bigger fool is in this scenario. Among his adultery, Troy abuses his second son, Corey, physically and verbally throughout the movie. All his son wants is to know that his father gives somewhat in the ballpark of a rip, but Troy's selfishness extends to such a degree that he goes out of his way to let Corey know that he does, in fact, not like him at all. Corey, the true hero of this story, is essentially the only one standing up for what is right in the family, while everyone else cowers in the face of Troy's dominance. Rose does stand up to him, but is unfortunately bought by Troy in the form of his illegitimate daughter. Troy's affair yielded a dead mistress through childbirth, but a healthy little girl, whom he offers to Rose as half a peace offering and half a will-you-take-this-responsibility-off-my-hands gesture. The plot allows this convenient twist, namely that Rose always wanted a baby girl, but she still bears a grudge against Troy for the remainder of their sham of a marriage. Now, there are many movies out there that display human depravity openly and without comment, sort of like a museum of man's troubles and woe to be viewed at the discretion and criticism of the viewer, awaiting his private conclusions. But what sets this movie apart from the rest is the audacious ending. As Troy's funeral is hours away, the family reunites to attend his passage into the earth. Corey, who ran away from home, comes back from the military, now a corporal, and meets for the first time his adolescent half-sister. Lyons is also there, now a 40-something-year-old scam artist living with his stepmother. Troy's brother Gabe comes around carrying his trumpet that had been at his side for the duration of the movie as a testament to his mental disability, claiming that he needs to blow it in order to let Troy through the gates of heaven. As the family gathers around Gabe, they look to the sky as Gabe lets out a long blast on the instrument, rendering the sunset sky ablaze with parting clouds and rays of sunshine, indicating Troy's entrance into heaven. Troy Maxson. An abusive and uncaring father, a thieving brother, a selfish friend, a cheating husband with not a good accolade to his name, leaves behind a disaster of a family and goes to heaven at the end of the movie. Boy, if a scumbag like that gets entrance into heaven by virtue of whatever, then I guess our Lord Jesus Christ sure wasted a lot of his time dying on the cross for us. We really are to be pitied if this movie has a shred of truth to it, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ that without him none of us will be saved. Various and sundry lessons can be pulled from this film, but the two most obvious are what happens when God's word is not present in a home and what happens when the church becomes irrelevant in culture. There is nothing restraining Troy's actions in the film at all. If he so wills it, he does it with little regard to others. No conviction, no remorse, no conscience. Troy does not care about morality, and neither does the writer, since his actions are not condemned or even shown in a negative light. Some would say they are shown in a negative light, but I would argue that the film portrays Troy as a victim of circumstance and conditioning. Consequently, his actions are more like results. The Bible, of course, gives no quarter to this type of sinful justification. Troy Maxson should have been publicly executed for his crimes against God and man. 
Church is portrayed for a hot minute, but is shown to be something that weak people do when going through tribulation. If there was a real church, Troy would have been confronted, rebuked, and disciplined under the ordinance of Scripture. Instead, he is left to prey on those closest to him like a fox in a henhouse. Sadly, this aspect of the movie is probably more like a historical commentary than a fictional play. In Fences, the title is meant to portray the allegory of what a man does to keep death and pain away, but communicates an even more powerful message. Without the laws and statutes, a.k.a. fences, of God in man's life, death and pain are invited in. Thanks for listening, my friends. Be strong and courageous. Thanks for listening to Streetwise Theology, brought to you by the Mid-Atlantic Reformation Society and Reconstructionist Radio. Please visit reconstructionistradio.com and thinkandreform.org. Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.